Oh no, I hope it's better than this. Take your I started already. Welcome, welcome to our Wednesday night here. Um, I almost figured out the problem with the uh, group calling, group video again, but unfortunately it was a little too late now for doing it, so we'll have to see if later that can be rectified. See who else is online. We're online now, we're on recording. Um, he's not on. Colonina, introduce them. What's the deal? Okay, let him talk. It's a good idea. How could, you, who could possibly be calling you? She's here. Oh, his mother. Talking Hungarian. Um, Pashas Kairach. Rishchidosh Tammuz tonight. Second day of Rishchidosh. You have anything? So have now. Quick. That way. Rishchidosh Tammuz. This Shabbos is Gimel Tammuz. Obviously, it is the uh, the sodas in the freezer. The drink is in the freezer. Very good. It is obviously a uh, point that we must discuss tonight. We've been neglectful not to. I just have to monitor my recorder because I'm afraid this battery is not going to last the end of this year. No, that won't be good. Um, Gimbal Thomas. But first, we take in hand the day at hand, Rishchidosh Thomas. Rishchidosh Thomas. Always has two days of Shredish because the month prior, Shredish 7, is always a Molly. Discussing that. The month being a Molly or a Choser, since the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar dictated by the revolutions of the moon. Hence, the month evolves either 29 days or 30. Being that Chaydesh Sivan is always a Malay, always 30 days, therefore, how does it, it translates in the days of Rish In the olden days, Rish was measured, was not measured, Rish was signed in 
by the sighting of the Adim, of witnesses. Witnesses stood on the mountain. Huh? Uh, yeah. Witnesses stood on the mountains of Yerushalayim. And they waited to see the first sighting of the moon. Upon the first sighting of the moon, they would then notify Bezdin. Bezdin would ask, through Kira and Risha, of course, each witness was drilled, and upon the testimony of both witnesses, if it jived, as we say in America, if it coincided one with the other properly, Bezdin would then announce that it is a Shredish. Now, today's days, you would tweet that, or you would uh, put it up on Facebook, and you'd be fine. Everybody would know about it. Or put it on a blog. In those days, they didn't have that. There were torches on the mountaintops, and each mountaintop got their torch lit, and when the nation saw the torches on the mountaintops lit, they knew that it was Rishchidosh. Rishchidosh has an interesting law in that Yala V'yava is recited in Shemoneh Generally, if one forgets to say Yala V'yava, thank you, then one has to repeat the Shemoneh Esrei. However, by Maitiv, if one forgets Yala V'yava, they do not repeat the Shemoneh regardless the first or the second night. Another time when Yalav Yavah is said during Mairiv, or Shachris or Mincha, is Chalamayid, Chalamayid Pesach and Chalamayid Sukkis. At that juncture, if, if, if a person forgets Yalav Yavah, by Mairiv they do repeat the Shemoneh and the reason being because we're not Mekadish the month by night, and therefore we don't say, if we miss Yalav Yahweh, we don't repeat. Boy, the phones are active tonight. Is he on? No, no, he's not home yet. Okay. Ah, thank you. And the jelly beans are here too. You forgot to take some of them. I got my jelly bean right here. Oh. Mmm. Jelly bean. The in the dates of the calendar, as we know, is the day that the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Babich Rebbe, was told that he's not going to be sentenced to death. Instead, he was being sent off to Kastrama, a labor camp. 
the sentence to go to Kastrema, they came to him, it was a Shredish Thomas, like the same Kvias as is this week, the same way Wednesday and Thursday in Shredish. And when they came and notified him that he's going to Kastrema, he asked them, how long will it take, when will I arrive? And told him he would arrive on Shabbos. So I'm not going. I'm sorry, I miss. Tonight's year is dedicated to Ilanishmas Rivka Basra Bitzchok. The yard site was today. Dedicated by her brother. Should do him be well. May I Machobra Bitzchok. May I should bless him with long life and Panosan. Peter Greber refused to go, refused to get on the train. The um, officers that were there at the time wanted to force the Rebbe to go, wanted to force him to travel, they didn't want him to dictate who was going to say and who was going to not say. And they told him, they threatened him that if he's not going to go, he's going to stay here in the prison, he's going to be put to death. To which the Rebbe answered, I have no problem. I would rather be put to death than travel on Shabbos. When they saw they couldn't break the Rebbe, they saw that they couldn't get anywhere with him, They obviously gave in, and the Rebbe traveled after. The question is, of course, there are certain reasons a person has to give up their life. To kill somebody else, to survey the Zara. Or to marry someone you're not allowed to. Shabbos didn't fall into that dimension. Adrabah. We know on Shabbos if there's a life-threatening issue, one can do things on Shabbos that are not allowed to generally do. The question is, Rebbe asks, what was the previous Rebbe, what was the previous Rebbe thinking when he was willing to give up his life not to desecrate Shabbos? Fiedig Rebbe said, I am a public figure. And as a public figure, Ty, I hope you're having fun there. As a public figure, the reason of the communists, the idea that the communist Russia was getting him, was trying to get him to travel on Shabbos, was to be able to tell the world, look, you see, he desecrated Shabbos. The Rebbe was Mechal Shabbos. So the Rebbe said, it's not just me that's involved here. It's an entire nation involved. Everyone that will see that the communists conquered my will, conquered my steadfast position, 
and made me travel Rahman al Sana Shabbos, this would be the end of everything. And therefore, the Rebbe refused and was willing to give up his life for it. We know that when Yeshua took over Moshe Rabbeinu, took over the mantle and led the Jews into Israel, there was a famous battle, Battle of Ayalon. The battle was not over, but the day was. What? As the day was almost over, there was a problem. Yeshua then stopped the sun. He stopped the sun and the sun stayed in the air until the day was ready to be finished by him, until the war was over. This famous miracle took place on Gimel Tammuz, the third day of the month of Tammuz, which is this Shabbos. Yeah. And we anticipate that this Shabbos will show us many miracles as well. Eighteen years ago, Chassidi Chabad, on Gimel Tammuz, were put to a tremendous test. A test which is extremely hard to overcome. A test which is extremely hard to battle. A test What is this? She's trying to hear what happened to Well, why is she online? Because Ty's friends are there. Oh, Ty's friends are there. Okay. A test which the Jewish nation really had to overcome. On Gimel Tammuz, on the third day of Tammuz, the Rebbe physically, according to the physical medical term, was no longer with us. According to the medical terms, the doctors declared that the Rebbe had passed away. On the day of a yard site, on the day that a person passes away, we need to reflect. We need to understand what does it mean to us, how does it carry significance to us, And especially when it's somebody that it's a Nasi bi Yisrael, a king of the Jewish nation. When the Rebbe Rashab, excuse me, the Rebbe Marash, passed away, really 
passed away. The Reb Marash took over the mantle. There was a chassid named Reb Grenim, who was a mashpia. He was a mentor for many people. And Grenim refused to accept the mantle of the new Rebbe. He said that he had heard a Kabbalah from the Alta Rebbe, from the first Chabad Rebbe. The Kabbalah was that the Rebbe says there will be a Tkufazman. There will be a time when the Rebbe, who undoubtedly will prove himself to be Mashiach, will go into hiding. He will go into hiding for X amount of time and then will reveal himself as Mashiach. So Grainam said, I believe my Rebbe is Mashiach. And because I believe my Rebbe is Mashiach, therefore I cannot accept a new Rebbe. And they used to torture him. They would throw wet towels at him. But he stood steadfast that he believed his Rebbe was coming back as Mashiach. It is on this basis that we look at Gimel Tammuz and we say to ourselves, are we forsaken? Are we now alone? Are we now bereft? There was a chassid, Rabbi Rucham. Rabbi Rucham was a chassid of the Rebbe Maharash, who was the son of the Tzemach Tzedek, who was the son-in-law of the Mittler Rebbe, who was the son of the Alter Rebbe. The Rebbe Maharash came in one Friday night to Shul and found the chassid Rabbi Rucham had fallen asleep on a bench. The Yeruchim came in after davening, for Friday night davening. You listening to this, Ken? Good. It was Friday night davening. After Kabbalah Shabbat, everyone else had finished. He had not finished. He had davened with all the proper meditations, with all the proper understandings, etc., all the Kabbalistic and spiritual meanings behind each and every word. And his davening tardied a lot longer than anyone else's. But it exhausted him to an extent that he fell asleep on the bench. Suddenly Rabbi Rucham awoke and he saw the Ramarash standing in the shul. His back to Yeruchim. And he was startled. The Rebbe. He goes, hey. The Rebbe heard him and turned around. And said, Ah, Rebbe Yeruchim, I'm happy to see you. You know why I'm in shul now here, said the Rebbe? I am just seeing off my father, the Tzemach Tzedek. He was just by me. That Samach Tzedek had passed away a while before that. The Rebbe Marash was, the Rebbe Rucham was bewildered. And the Rebbe said to him, you know how I know how to see off my father? I'll tell you a story. 
Rebbe was sitting, his eyes popping out of his head. He couldn't believe that the Rebbe is talking to him such esoterical issues as if they were discussing the morning breakfast. And the Rebbe says to him, when I was a little boy, my father and myself had a kvias, had a set time that we learned together every single day. And we never missed a day. And we never were late. I came on the money, on button, and my father was always available for me and we learned. One day, I came to my father's room and the door was locked. I was shocked. How is this possible? It's never happened before. I looked in through the keyhole and I saw my father sitting there with two people. I looked closer and I looked very familiar to these people. And as I looked, I realized that these people were the Rebbe Marash, or the Mitla Rebbe and the Alta Rebbe, who had long since passed away. And he says, I stood there by the door, I was mesmerized. And all of a sudden, my father opened the door and said, Ah, here's my Shmulik. Come in, Shmulik. I came into the room and I stood there next to my Zayd, next to the Alta Zayd, the Alta Rebbe. And I was, and the Alta Rebbe said to me, This is Shmulik. Come, Shmulik, say a Maimer, say a Hasidic discourse. I turned and I pointed to my grandfather, the Alta Rebbe, and I said, I want to hear from you. You say it, I'll repeat it word for word, said the little boy. And the Alter Rebbe agreed. And the Alter Rebbe said a Maimer, and Shmulek repeated it word for word verbatim. And he says to Rebbe Ruchim, I can still tell you the Maimer. I can still repeat it, he says. At that point, my father got up, and he saw out his father and his grandfather, and from the way he did it, that's how I knew to see out my father from the door. Now, honestly speaking, generally when we hear such stories, we say, what were they smoking? What were they on? They were on something really good. They were seeing people coming back from the dead. Physically, standing with them. What was going on over here? Why didn't they pass that down to the generations? But the truth is, the Gemara tells us, when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi passed away, he used to continue coming every Friday night to make Kiddush for his family. After he passed away. Not only did he come to make Kiddush, His family was Yaitan with the Kiddush. The custom is on Friday night we don't eat, we don't partake of anything until we hear the Kiddush. Until Kiddush is recited over a cup of wine. Understandably, 
it only makes sense that halachically Kiddush has to be recited by a live person. And we hear that Rabbi Yehuda used to come every Friday night and make Kiddush for his family. And they would eat their meal based on his Kiddush. And the Gemara tells us that only till the neighbors complained. Because they used to see him coming. A neighbor complained, why to them and not to us? Why do we not have this honor and this chus? Only because of that did the Behuda stop coming. And we have many other such instances in history, whether it be Eliyahu Anavi, David Melech Yisrael Chayvekayim, Yaakov Leimais, many other people cited in history that it is written they did not pass away. Do we understand exactly how this works? Do we understand what it means that a physical body which dies which returns to the earth and yet lives on. The fact is one of the literal senses of which we say that a person lives on is a legacy. The person lives on with a legacy that they, just like their children continue their lifestyle, continue what they built and what they did all their lives. So continues the person in this world. So the person continues to exist in this world. A neshama, a holy soul has a mission. To come down into this world and to fix, to adjust, to rectify, to purify, to elevate. God Almighty created the world. And as He created a world, He wanted something of this world. He wanted the world to become something. He wanted the world to happen. This is not a hobby. You know the story with the hobby. Jaime and, 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 uh, and Moses are sitting together. And Moses says, Jaime, you look terrible. Why don't you get out and get some sun? He says, eh, I'm too old for that. He says, Jaime, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go mishige. You got to do something. You got to maybe take up a hobby. He says, I have a hobby. You have a hobby? He says, yeah. He says, what's your hobby? Every morning I go and I buy a jar full of bees. A jar full of bees? He says, yes. What do you do with them? I watch them. You watch your jar full of bees. He says, yes. 
And do you make a hole in the jar or something so that they can breathe, so they can live, so they can exist? He says, no. You don't make a hole in the jar. He says, no. He says, but they're going to die in the jar. He says, so let them die. They're only a abi. People take up hobbies. God does not take up a hobby. God did not create the world as a hobby. God created the world so that He would have a dwelling place here below. Does He serve some watermelon cake? That he would have a dwelling place here below. What does this mean? In the human mind's eye, we do not and cannot, we are not capable of understanding, grasping what God is. Ask a child who hears about the Almighty God sitting on His holy great throne, and he might be able to, in his mind's eye, draw you a beautiful picture of this magnificent palace and the magnificent king sitting on the throne. And as the child grows older and he hears that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the back of the Almighty's neck, saw the back of his Tvilin Sharesh, he starts to understand more and more that the picture that he had was not proper. The picture that he always had in his mind's eye was not hegioni, as we say in Hebrew. And as he grows older and starts to hear about the different attributes of God, chesed, vura, teferes, the more he learns, the less he understands. The more he tries to grasp, the more he sees how little and how hard it is to actually get to the bottom of this. But God created a world. And created it with a purpose. A purpose that only we, us human beings, can accomplish. Only a neshama in a goof can accomplish this. And therefore the neshama is sent down below with this mission to accomplish what the Almighty wants it to accomplish. Every generation, the Zohar tells us, has sparks of Moshe Rabbeinu. And then there's another quote that says in each and every Jew there is a little spark of Meish Rabbeinu. A Nosi, a leader, the word Nosi is an acronym. Nitsutsei Shayakev Avinu. Sparks of Yaakov Avinu. Hanosi Hu Hakel. It is brought down that the Nosi is everything. If we would choose a head neshama, a neshama that is a head of the nation, 
a ruler, a leader of the nation, this would be the Nasi. And the Nasi, therefore, is one that looks after not just his own four cubits, not just Not just his own four cubits, but the Nasi looks after the entire nation. And we have told stories in the past of how the Rebbe does this. And how each Rebbe affects directly each and every Jew. Several years ago, several, obviously it's more like 40, 50. A terrible, terrible decree was put upon the Jewish nation. The decree came in the form of what was ultimately known in Hebrew as Mihu Yehudi. Who is a Jew? And what it ultimately translated in was there were many, many conversions that were not done properly. And thereby causing a lot of generations of people that are not exactly sure where they come from ago. There was a rabbi leading this movement, Rabbi Yosef Berg. He was a Talmudic scholar. He was a bright man. He knew his things, he knew his stuff. And as this crisis elevated... And as the, the Rebbe would cry endless tears by gatherings, by Hasidic gatherings, Fabrengans, publicly, finally Rabbi Yosef Berg came to see the Rebbe on Yechidus, a private audience. He came into the Rebbe and he sat with the Rebbe for quite a while. And the Rebbe impressed him very, very much. The Rebbe showed him as much as a Talmudic scholar he is, as great as he may be, the Rebbe was indeed head and shoulders above him. Oh, he won't make a bracha. <laughs> he knows how to find his own. Finally, after the long private audience, when he came out, huh? when he came out from the Rebbe, they asked him, what's his opinion? What does he think of the Rebbe? And he said, the Rebbe is brilliant. The Rebbe is versed in everything. 
There is nothing that the Rebbe does not know and is not master. Did the Rebbe try to enforce his opinion on you? As far as Mu Yudhi said yes. And how did the Rebbe not convince you, they asked. He said, every time the Rebbe started getting somewhere, and I started feeling that I'm getting influenced by the Rebbe, I grabbed my hands together under the table and I screamed, and I said to myself, I am Yosef Berg, I am Yosef Berg, I am Yosef, I am the person that I am, and I don't want anyone entering into my cubits. So whatever the Rebbe tried to deal with him, because the opposite of spirituality, the Klippa was so great, he fought and fought and would not allow for the Rebbe to ultimately penetrate. The Rebbe Marash also had several such stories. One of our famous poets, Echad Am. Echad Am's name was his pen name. His name is Usher Ginsberg. Usher Ginsberg was a very well learned person, also a pure apicarious heretic. And many people were very concerned how he knew so much Tata. He knew how to learn so well. They have to be able to get this man to do the right thing. And try as they may to get him to visit the Rebbe at Marash, he was refusing. After many, many, many months of pounding away, as we say, he finally agreed to go to see the Rebbe Marash. And as he entered the Rebbe Marash's room, and he sat through many, many hours of the Rebbe, he came out and they asked him, what's your, uh, they asked the Rebbe, what's your opinion of this man? And the Rebbe Marash said about Usher Ginsberg, he knows God very, very well. But he's doing everything in his powers to rebel against him. And when they asked the Rebbe, they asked Usher Ginsberg, what do you think of the Rebbe? He said he knows the world inside out. And he's doing everything possible to rebel against what goes on in the world. To be able to make it to a terror world. In the days of the communists, the Reb Marash, the oppression of the communists was very, very heavy, very strong. And the communists would not allow a gathering of more than three people. Especially if they were not related. And if you were caught, it was punishable by death. The Reb Marash was Fabrenging. And there was a chsiddish of of the Reb Marash. People were jammed into the room. Needless to say, this was Sakonis the Fashus. This was pure danger to their lives. And the 50, 60 people in the room, and suddenly a very well dressed official entered the room. They were petrified. They knew usually when a guy like this walks in, behind him is a police raid. But the Rebbe continued talking. 
And the Rebbe continued talking, and his fellow stood there, mesmerized. It almost looked like he shed a tear throughout the evening. The Rebbe forbrained throughout the night. And this communist fellow did not move. Finally, the Rebbe motioned that the Fabrengen would be over. The Rebbe made the Bracha Achrena. And the Rebbe left the room. And one of the elder Chassidim turned to this man and, with the look of Shtotachotchesh. What is it that you want here? And he told the Chassid, My father was a Chassid, he said. My father was a chassid. And? And he says, I believe in nothing. I'm enlightened. I know that it's all worthless. The tater is worthless. The beliefs are worthless. The mitzvahs are worthless. These are old fairy tales. These are all for the old grandmothers. All this is nothingness. So, so why are you here? He says, there's one thing I can't deny. A Rebbe is a Rebbe. The Rebbe is a Rebbe. Say what I believe, what I don't, I don't believe in anything. But I cannot deny the Rebbe. I cannot be in defiance of the Rebbe. And this is why he stood there. In this week's Pasha, technically had a problem with the Rebbe. Technically had a problem with the leadership. Technically had a problem where he tried to literally make a mockery of Moshe Rabbeinu. The two famous questions. Talis kulei tcheles and bayis molei svarim. A talis, the garment which one wears, the prayer shawl. If it is full with the tcheles, which is the material that is needed to make the tzitzis out of, the purple wool tzitzis, if the entire talis is made of that, does the talis need tzitzis? And a bias while a a house that's full of svarim, does it need a mezuzah? Is there not enough spirituality already? Moshe answered, Yes. The mezuzah is needed and the tzitzis are needed. Was that really the correct answer? The answer Kerach was looking for was no. To which he would say, if the entire nation is holy, how can you be a ruler, how can you make a ruler over us if we are an entire nation of holy people? There's no difference.
Moshe, however, proved the true love. The true love of a fellow Jew. And from this story of Kerach, we see how great Moshe's love was for a fellow Jew. The decree was already finalized on Kerach and on his nation. And the Almighty said quickly to get everyone away from them. And they were going down, as we say. And Moshe was looking for a way to save them. Moshe was still hoping and praying that they would repent, that they would retract what they are doing. And they would save him perhaps from Redes Chaim She'ela, going down to Chaim She'ela. From here we learn a tremendous lesson. People that literally were revolting against the Almighty and the decree was already put upon them and the leader of our nation, the Meshach Rabbeinu, was still out there trying to save them. How much more so in our generation, Rabbi Sain. How many people Rahman al-Tzlan, are not keeping Tata, are not learning Tata doing mitzvahs? How many people are literally ignoramuses and don't begin to know where to start learning Tata? Like a child captured between the nations, Tinuk Shanijba. And the Rebbe is on the campaign that it is not just a good idea, but an obligation, a chayv kadesh on each and every one of us to try to see, to reach out, to save another Jew and bring them closer to the Almighty. It doesn't fall only on the rabbis and on the sages. It doesn't fall only on the teachers and on the principals. It falls on each and every one of us, whoever knows Aleph and Bays, if you know somebody that only knows Aleph, you have to teach them the Bays. Whoever knows a smaller Rashi, who knows how to read, and they know someone who doesn't know how to read, and all they can do is read, it is their obligation to go out there and find and help the other person read. The person who knows how to put on to fill in and know somebody who doesn't, they have an obligation to teach them how to. And a person who has a feeling for Yiddishkeit, and has another friend that doesn't, they have an obligation to impress upon them the same. And the same goes with the seven Noahide laws. The seven Noahide laws have the same rules and regulations. They too have to be impressed upon the other nations. When we see a non-Jew that's doing something that he's not allowed to be doing, and we have to look up and we have to learn and understand the seven Noahide laws so that we can impress that upon them as well. 
within Kerov's battle, we found a confusion. From one side, Kerach wanted everyone should be equal. They're all holy. And God is within each and every Jew. That's why rule over the nation. But still in all, Kerach here was holding on to his argument, which was a separation. The Targum tells us when it says, Vayikach Korach, Vayikach, which means took in wrath, the Targum translates it as Palig, he divided. And we know the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, on the page 110, anyone that has a Machlekes, anyone that keeps an, a fight with somebody, that stays in an argument, in a fight, is Aver a love. He is uh, he is desecrating a a veda in, in the Torah, a sin. <coughs> For it says in the Torah, one may not be like Kerach and his Eder. And we see this when the Mechitzas between the Kayan Levi and Yisrael are taken down. And we know that the Torah tells us, We don't, everyone is one, all the nation is together. By saying that, no, I am one different, I have a different, I have a plus over the Excuse me, are you alright? <laughs> this causes period between Jewish nations. And Dafka, when each one takes on his Tafkid, what he has to be doing, then he can ultimately fulfill what he has to, the mission that he has in this world. And with what did Kerach want? Kerach came and said, what is Arna Kayan better than us? Why is he a Kayan Godel? We can all be Kaharim Gedolim. And Moshe said, eh, you're right. You're wrong. I also want to be a Kayan Godel. Let us understand what his machlekes was. The Almighty already promised Moshe Rabbeinu, they will always believe in you. Moshe was different than anyone else. Where did 250 people of the Sanhedrin join Kairach and come to stand up against the generation's leader? And the fact of the matter is that Kairach too believed in Moshe. And therefore when they all asked for the Kahuna to be Kehanim, so the you 250 people are asking to all be Kehengadl. You all want to ascertain and to reach this high level? I too want to. To understand how the Kayan Godel was the one apart from everyone. And he served in the Holy of Holies. Obviously everybody wanted to reach that. Everybody wanted to become such a person. <coughs> and therefore Moshe says to them, I too wanted this. 
your tzuka, this what you want here, this what you are striving for and, and asking for, I have this as well. But there is one tater, there is one arein, and therefore there is only one kain brother. Ultimately, there are many miracles performed. <coughs> One such miracle is every Nasi put their staff, put forth their staff, and Aaron Akain's staff performed a miracle. And the miracle we all know, it flowered, it blossomed. It blossomed flowers and it blossomed almonds. And this is a plain dead piece of wood. And the idea is to show how nature blends itself to such an extent that for the righteous it does things that it would not ordinarily do. Did they not learn from it? Well, here they weren't talking much now. Here they were confronting, they wanted to take over. Mesh is still davening for all of them. Even after... And we know that Ein Ben Peles, the Bnei Ruvain, did not join. Why did Ein Ben Peles not join? And this was because of his wife. His wife would not allow them to approach. His wife stood by the tent. And his wife was ready to become, was to let down her hair. Which is an immodest act. Something that does not go with sneers. So that the people should not come near him. And ultimately we know. The Gemara tells us. The Mishnah tells us. Any machlekes that is not really meant for the heaven, heavenly mission, kerach ve'edosei is like kerach and his eda. That's a very strange way of putting it. The machlekes that involved here was kerach with Moshe. Why does it say kerach and his people? But we see, therefore. That even between Kerak's people, there wasn't peace. Even amongst themselves, they were still arguing, they were still fighting. And therefore, 
when they tried, when anyone, single person, Kerach, or anyone in his 250 people, were coming against the Nasi Hader, coming against the Rebbe of the generation, it was ultimately it was Machlekes not with heavenly intent, and therefore could not be Miskayim, could not be existent. And this was ultimately the problem here. And this is a lesson that we take from Gimel Thomas. A time where we have to stand up for the Nosti Yisrael. A time where we have to say to ourselves, Yesh, Novi Yisrael. And we have to understand that today's date, continue, continuous miracles take place either at the Ohel, in 770, people approaching the Rebbe's chair, people standing by the door of the Rebbe's room, people opening, we're not going into the room, just by the door, or people opening today from the Igris Kedish letters that the Rebbe has given for direction and for blessings. And tens of miracles are still rolling around today, because of the Rebbe's brachas, which are continuously living with us. <coughs> and obviously, they are living with us, because we are living with them. And as long as one says, David Melech Yisrael Chayvekayam, that King David lives on forever, and as long as one believes it, as long as some people live with it, then David HaMelech lives within us as well. And therefore his holy words of the Tehillim are there always to help us, are always there to get us to continue our lives, to persevere. And I will end with a story that I've told many times. During the Holocaust, there was a group of little boys, the oldest might have been 10 years old, and they were held up in a barn. Their parents had deposited them in this barn, in a remote farm hoping the hope against hope that they will survive the war there. It was a remote area, who would come there? And each night the oldest two boys, maybe ten years old, went out and they found some vegetables or something to give the younger children food. One day, the sound that nobody ever wanted to hear came across the field the rumbling of an engine. And the boy looked out the little hole and he saw Nazi jeeps coming to the end of the field, to the clearing. He said, we have to daven. They rallied all the little children around them, we have to pray. What prayer do we say? We say to Hillim. But nobody had a Tehillim. Nobody knew Tehillim by heart. They were little boys. Tehillim is said in a very, very haunting chant. In a very inspirational chant. Pasuk by Pasuk, when the children say it, they say, And this is something that's been going on generation to generation of repeating Sukkim of Tehillim this way. And this is exactly what they did. They said, we don't know the words, but we know the tune. 
And they started quietly to say the tune together. The oldest boy said, And the little ones repeated that after him. And they did this for a minute, two minutes, three minutes. And as they davened, they became totally engrossed in their Tehillim. And totally, totally one with Dover HaMelech. And suddenly they heard again the engine start up. And they heard the Germans calling quickly emergency, they had to leave. They jumped in their jeeps and they sped off in the other direction. And these children lived to tell the story after the war. With the tune of which David HaMelech's holy words of Tehillim are recited. And therefore we see David Melech Yisrael Chayvekayim. And we see at the end of the Haftarah, where David HaMelech is spoken of, it says, Yechi HaMelech David Li'elam, that Melech of David will live on forever within us. And as long as we take the king of our generation, the leader of our generation, and we say he lives within us, Gimel Tammuz takes on a total different dimension for us. And it takes on, although it's a concealment, although the Rebbe is not physically in front of us, that we see him with our eyes, we know that the Rebbe lives on within us and amongst us. And our, leg- our job is to carry on the Rebbe's legacy and to leave no stone unturned and no Jew out in the cold. Whatever we can do for whoever we can do it for, we should do it with a full heart. And there should be no machlekes amongst Jews. There should be no bad-mouthing amongst Jews. There should be no Lashon Hara amongst Jews. There should be no hard feelings amongst Jews. And that way we will be Amech Kulam Tzadikim. And that way we will ultimately be able to prove to the Almighty God that we are one. And if we are one, we belong behind Mashiach Tzadkenu, which we will merit before Gimel Tamas. On Eshchedesh Tamas, once again, we will merit the redemption as the Fiyadik Rebbe did, going out of prison of the death sentence and being taken out of the death sentence to be able to be Bran, to tell the world, I will not be Mechal Shabbos, but we will prevail over our enemies. Shabbat Shalom.